It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jake Lisko. Join this time from the top of the show, unlike yesterday, by my co-host, James Rapine. This is your once-weekly reminder to follow James and I on social media, at Jake underscore NFL for me, at James Rapine for him, and at Lockdown Bengals for the podcast. Especially make sure you follow that last one, the podcast itself, because we're doing a mailbag and we're taking questions tomorrow, and you're going to want to send your questions to that handle when we put up a tweet asking for them. James, as we sit down to record this on Tuesday, it's a little bit slower for news for Paul Brown Stadium today than it was on Sunday when the Bengals had their second and final scrimmage of the preseason. But there's still some interesting things to talk about. We're going to get started by talking about Alex Redmond, who has finally cleared his physical, will practice for the first time since he tore his biceps last November. He actually started two games and played in three games for the Bengals last year, which you might not remember if you weren't paying very close attention to the season. Then we'll get into Riley Reef, who may be released by Minnesota by the time you listen to this podcast as they asked him to restructure, and the Alvin Kamara apparent holdout and how it's different from what's happening with Joe Mixon in Cincinnati. Finally, we'll wrap up with what happened with the Bengals at the Freedom Center on Saturday. We didn't get to it yesterday with all the talk about the scrimmage, and we'll catch up on that big statement from the Bengals to finish up today's show. And James, actually, one thing I want to mention here before we get into the Alex Redmond discussion is that Mackenzie Alexander is back in Cincinnati. His Instagram story today featuring a little shot of him walking onto the field in Paul Brown Stadium. That's great news for the Bengals who had questions at slot receiver. And it looks like if all things go according to plan, Alexander should be just fine to go for the season opener. That's significant news. The other news for the Bengals today is that Alex Redmond passed his physical. He was a starter for the Bengals as recently as last year before he tore his biceps and went down for the rest of the season. He's only played in three games, though, in the last year and hasn't been able to practice until this week as he was on the non-football injury list. It would be fairly surprising to me if Alex Redman makes a push for the starting job. However, there's a part of me that knows Jim Turner loves Alex Redmond, and because of that, it wouldn't be shocking to see a little bit of competition in the last couple of weeks for that starting spot. But Xavier Suofilo has a huge head start. And you wonder if Redmond can make up that ground. I mean, one, he's got to show he's healthy enough to belong on the 53. 
And while I think he is, and he's probably a lock there, just because he's really your only backup guard. I mean, maybe Billy Price, but he seems more like a backup center, and they like you know moving him around a bit. But Fred Johnson was a guy who got more reps at right guard when Michael Jordan was out with the birth of his his daughter. Xavier moved over to that left side. So I think, Alex, there's, there's a clear spot for him that's almost been held. And you're right, Jake. I, I think there is a chance where he could push. But I will say, given everything we've seen throughout camp over the past few weeks, and now that camp is over, it just feels like they're kind of set with who they have. And at this point, unless Redmond is just so amazing, they're not going to be super physical in practice. So it's going to be really hard for him to show that he deserves to start over Xavier Suofilo. So like you said, Xavier has a, a huge head start, but uh, Redmond certainly in the mix and, and I think will we'll settle in at that backup spot. And there are some similarities between them. They're both very powerful players. They're the mauling type of right guard that a lot of teams are looking for. The, the downside to Redmond is honestly – the penalties. The penalties are have been the biggest issue for him. And when he was playing beside Bobby Hart, you could count on the right side of that offensive line for at least one crushing penalty per game. The last time those two were starting side by side for a whole season was 2018. And those two combined for a schwack load of poorly timed holding penalties or false start penalties. And honestly, I would say this to Alex Remen's credit. If he can clean up the penalties, there isn't a whole lot differentiating Alex Redman from Xavier Suofilo. From an on-field productivity, production standpoint, from a skill standpoint, the, the gap is, is not as big as you might think for a guy the Bengals went out and signed in free agency this year. Xavier Suofilo was mostly a backup in Dallas after all. He was, and that's, that's almost the scary part, because everything you're describing, I agree with. And I think that's just as telling about Xavier Suofilo as it is Alex Redmond, right? Is you got a second round pick, 33rd overall in 2014, four years in Houston, two with Dallas. And I've used this word a couple times, and I'm not trying to be mean to Suofilo, but he's been a bust. Any 33rd overall pick who spends four years and that's it, doesn't sign a big deal with his second team, and is on his third team in seven years. That's that's rough. And you hope that this is the system fit for him. And he can settle in there. And it's it's been a mixed bag so far, but really hard to tell. But obviously, the right side of the offensive line, I think, is where most people are uneasy, uh, along with Bobby Hart. So worst case, and, and I think this is a, a worst case, and I wrote this, Redmond is your backup, and you feel pretty decent about him being your backup. Like, I'm okay with that. I don't think he really should start at this stage. I mean, he's a guy who got hurt this offseason. He's been undisciplined when it comes to penalties, and that matters. And so what I need to see from Redmond, and it's going to be hard for him to do it in the 13 days as we record this between now and the opener, he needs to show he can be disciplined. And not just with penalties, with everything, with the way he goes about his business. Maybe he should follow 73 Jonah Williams around, because I know he's disciplined. I know Trey Hopkins is going to be disciplined. And that's something that Redmond needs to prove, because he hasn't done it time and time again since he's been in Cincinnati. As the coaches point out time and time again, what they're looking for from these players is consistency. To your point, James, that's exactly what he needs to do. The upside here for the Bengals is you can do worse than Alex Redman for a backup guard. He was just a little bit below average as a starter the last time he did start. There's a chance that he can be an average player in spot play if he needs to 
in 2020. Coming up next, we talk about some rumblings around the NFL and how that may or may not have parallels or ties to the Bengals, including Riley Reef potentially on the outs in Minnesota and Alvin Kamara potentially holding out down in New Orleans. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It comes in any array of flavors to appease your taste buds, and they've been meticulously crafted to be great for anybody who's health conscious with a protein profile that will fit your macros no matter what you're working on in the gym. Built Bars are the best protein bars on the planet. And look, you might not believe me, you might not believe Jake, but did you see the picture of Joe Burrow before Sunday's scrimmage? The one where he had the shoulder pads on and the jersey in one hand and the helmet in the other? That's what happens when you eat belt bars. You start to look like that Joe Burrow where the, the ladies are fawning over him and, and so were the fellas, to be honest. So belt Bar, look, they have 18 different flavors. I've eaten them for years. I love that they're sponsoring this podcast. They have six new flavors. So do me a favor. Go to BiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON. Get $10 off your next order Try them. I promise you won't regret it. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's keep things rolling by talking about the offensive line. Continue the conversation, Jake. And, you know, we do this, and specifically, I'm very guilty of this, anytime there's an offensive lineman available. Like I was definitely on the Trent Williams bandwagon. Uh, I'm I'm really pro adding to this position group because of the the uncertainty surrounding it. And I believe the Athletic Minnesota was the first to report that Riley Reef, the 31 year old veteran offensive lineman, primarily left tackle but has spent some time at right tackle as well, could be on the chopping block after Minnesota added Yadik Ngakwe over the weekend. They basically gave Reef an ultimatum. Take a pay cut, restructure your contract, or we're going to cut you. And Pro Football Talk reported that Reef has already told teammates that he expects to get cut. So maybe he doesn't want to take a pay cut, which I understand that that's really the reason Andy Dalton <laughs> got cut, right? Is because taking a pay cut from your current team is tough. So Reef could be a free agent as soon as Tuesday if the the Vikings were to make the decision to release him and and move on from him, I'm all about it. I'm all about bringing him in. What say you when it comes to Riley Reef and potentially signing him to uh, really be the right tackle for the Bengals and the starting right tackle in 2020? Reef is just 32 years old, which means to me he has some good years left in him. He may have started to see some age-related decline last year, but he's facing some pretty good pass rushers up in Minnesota. He's unquestionably got a much better track record than Bobby Hart. And people that listen to this podcast know that if there's a chance to upgrade on Bobby Hart, I'm about taking that chance. Because to me, Hart, like Alex Redmond, is a fine NFL backup. But when he's your starter, which means the guy behind him is ostensibly worse, then you have problems. Riley Reef would not be worse 
in the regular season last year. He was an above average player, according to pro football focus. He has some penalty issues last year, but over the course of his career has not been so bad in that area. And again, in the course of his career has been a very balanced run blocker, pass blocker, complete package kind of deal. And if you ask Brandon Thorne, who did those offensive line tier rankings and came on this podcast a little bit ago to talk about the offensive line, his best year came in Detroit at right tackle, not at left tackle as he played in Minnesota. So if he needed to come in and play right tackle, I would be all about it. I think that this could potentially even make sense from a financial perspective. I will say that you mentioned Andy Dalton not wanting to take a pay cut. I think that unlike Andy Dalton, there will be a much larger market for Riley Reef services because there are just are not good tackles in the NFL and there was a surplus of quarterbacks available. So with all that said, would I like to see it happen? Yeah. Do I think it's going to happen? Hell no. <laughs> Here's the thing though. They do have the cap space and, and I don't know what, what we're looking at years wise, how many years he's going to want. Maybe it is just one. So he could kind of reset himself and, and, and put himself in position for one last you know, long-term deal, because it's hard to get those type of deals. Logan Ryan signed a $7 million deal uh, on Monday. You know, it's it's hard to get that at this stage of the season with the week one just a couple of weeks away. What's hurting him, you know, if you offer him $8 bucks, It's not getting in the way of a mixing deal. I, heck, it doesn't even feel like a mixing deal is going to get done. I will get into him in a second. But the, the point is, is like, what, would you rather have him for $8 million or have that space that, is just there for no reason. And, and to me, I, I would bring him in if you could specifically because number nine is your foundation. He is your, you know, your living room, your dining room. He's the entire damn house. And you got to keep that house intact. And, and the best way I think to do that is bring in a guy like Riley Reef, who is unquestionably, undoubtedly better than what they have. And if he does come available at this stage, He's going to be looking for a spot where he can shine. And you mentioned the right tackle spot. I think that's a pretty good area for him to come in. He could come in here, play well, and potentially get one last big deal before he retires. Reef has collected about $36 million out of the $58 million that was on his contract that he signed with Minnesota back in the 2017 season or going into the 2017 season. He's due about $11 million a year over the next two years. I really wonder what he's going to be after. Because if I'm Riley Reef, I might be thinking, you, you might be in Logan Thomas's situation, which, by the way, again, another contract for a cornerback that looks better than what the Bengals paid for Trey Wayne. It's not to just pile onto that deal, but since it did happen today, just $7.5 million for one year, I think I'd be happier with that deal. I, I, and he might play a different position than Trey Wayne's, but that's kind of beside the point. Riley Reef. I don't know if he's going to be in that situation or not. He might get a three-year deal from someone for $30 million. And if I'm the Bengals, do I balk at that? I'm not sure that I do. I think that that sounds more than reasonable for a position where we're already paying a guy $7 million to be below league average. But the concern with with giving him three years right now would have to be that the age-related decline is indeed happening and, and then you're on the hook potentially for some dead money down the road. The other piece to mention here is that if they were to cut Bobby Hart as a corresponding move, they do save another few million dollars against the cap. So for a one-year deal, it, it's certainly financially, financially tenable. But the question is, how much of a shakeup is there in the locker room? Because we've talked about it. He, he being Bobby Hart, pretty well liked in Cincinnati. 
He is. And, and that's certainly a factor. And honestly, I don't even know if you would need to go that route. Because to me, let's say it is a three-year deal, and you would structure it naturally. Any team that gives Riley Reef a three-year deal would do so with the idea that they might have to cut him after two years. So there isn't a lot of dead money on the back end there that they're going to have to eat if they did have to move on from him. So could you do one year with Hart on the books with a nearly $7 million cap hit plus whatever you have to do to, to get Reef on board and then move on from Hart at the end of this season? He's only $1 million in dead cap you know, if you release him next offseason. So I think you could certainly do that. And then suddenly Hart is your backup right tackle. you got Fred Johnson who – has been a backup left tackle. He's played some at guard, some at tackle. You, you feel just much better about the depth that the Bengals have up front. And you have a guy in Reef who could be there for a couple of years instead of just a one-year stopgap. So uh, I wouldn't mind at all doing a three-year deal if it was structured in a way that you could get out or get out of it after two years. Which may or may not be feasible, but he would absolutely, no questions asked, be a solid upgrade at the position, at least on paper. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on with Alvin Kamara down in New Orleans. He has had three unexcused absences from the team, said reports on Monday. And juxtapose this with Joe Mixon, who has been away from the team, but has been said to have migraines, has not been characterized as an unexcused absent, has not been characterized as explicitly having anything to do with his contact, contract negotiations, although that has been speculated. I think that it's, it's telling how different these situations are. And, and it also speaks to Mixon's team-first attitude, let's say, a little bit. I think so. I, I do. And, and I think that Joe Mixon is frustrated right now. Uh, he's frustrated that they're as far apart as they are. And that's last I heard, they were pretty far apart when you're talking about money. Um, and, and Alvin Kamara's in the same boat, same draft class. He's produced more than Mixon. Had had a little injury last year, but I'm sure he's asking for $14, 15000000 million per. And I think Schefter was the one that said that he's asking in between what Henry, Derrick Henry, got from the Titans, which was $12.5 million per, and Christian McCaffrey's $16 million. I don't know where Mixon's at. I assume it's around Derrick Henry level or twelve around 12 per year. And, you know, it is it is a testament to him that he's not going this route. And it is a risk for Alvin Kamara to do this because of the new CBA and how it is. And will he actually accrue a full season or will he not now because it is an unexcused absence and be a restricted free agent? It doesn't matter as long as he gets a new deal. But what if he doesn't get that deal? And that's the risk. And that's why it's good to see that Mixon has still been around the team, even though he wasn't out there for practice for a couple of days. And we certainly started to wonder where he was. Yeah, I think that Kamara's situation will not escalate to the point where, I mean, it would be a, a legal malpractice or something by his agent to let it get to the point where he doesn't accrue a season. Like, that, I, I just can't see that happening. But the, the, the unexcused absence is never a good look for a guy like Kamara. But hey, could be worse. Could be Leonard Fournette, who the Bengals were absolutely going to draft if he was available to them at number nine, who was uh, waived. And uh, the Bengals, of course, having that top waiver claim, some of you out there thinking, oh, why don't they just go sign Alvin or sign Leonard Fournette? Let's claim him off waivers. Well, they incur a $4 million cap hit, and that is a ton of money 
to put into a running back position where Fournette's like your third running back. And yeah, if Joe Mixon gets hurt, you have problems. But I mean, I'm, it's just, come on, let's, let's try to find a way to stop spending so much money at this position. Do you want Joe Mixon to continue to be that good team guy or do you want him to lose his damn mind when you claim a guy like Leonard Fournette who he's competing with for a contract regardless of where Fournette ends up and now they're going to be sharing carries at least to some extent? Is, is that what you want? Because to me, I think Joe Mixon, and I thought this during the draft in 2017, more talented. He could do more. Uh, he, he's he's got the same size, but he's quicker. He's got better hands. All of these things. Well, Fournette feels like he's an alpha, and that's why he got in, you know some trouble and and rubbed people the wrong way in Jacksonville. Guess who else feels like he's an alpha? Joe Mixon. You really want those two guys? There's only there's usually only one running back on the field at the time, and neither of these guys are desperate for for touches. This isn't a Kareem Hunt situation, so I, I would uh, I would be shocked if it would even work if they did that. And I don't even think he's. He's on the Bengals' radar. I don't think it makes sense for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, financially, from a scheme perspective, from a fit perspective. It's, it's just not on the table. This isn't what we're talking about when we're talking about using that number one waiver priority. On an unrelated note, we haven't yet talked, James, about the Bengals' trip to the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center and the subsequent statement. We'll get into that coming up next. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On Saturday, the Cincinnati Bengals went over to the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center just down the road a little bit from Paul Brown Stadium, and the team stood out in front of the building, and Trey Hopkins and Joe Burrow combined to deliver the Bengals' statement about racial equality and social justice. Video of that statement is on Bengals social media. The statement was released on the Bengals website and also on their Twitter page. And there are a few things that are pretty noteworthy about this. For one, it shows most of the team coming together, standing in front of the Freedom Center with ownership. Katie Blackburn was on the walk. Mike Brown was standing directly behind Trey Hopkins and Joe Burrow as they spoke, which I think is symbolic. There's a metaphor there. He's behind his players as they're speaking about this. This comes directly after Mike Brown agreed to meet with the players. Very quickly, the players talked about how quick he was in his response to their request to talk. This comes a year after, or a couple years, I guess now, after a report said that Mike Brown grilled Eric Reed about his plans to protest. So it shows that Mike Brown is is listening to and backing his players. He's supporting them in what they're feeling in their platform. That's what you want to see from an owner-player relationship perspective. The other thing that's really interesting to me about this, and it's something that Joe Burrow confirmed after the scrimmage on Sunday, is that the players thought that it would be most effective for Joe Burrow to be the additional speaker with Trey Hopkins, who wrote the statement, or wrote most of the statement, Hard to exactly say. It sounds like he led the effort to write the statement with the team. But Joe Burrow commanding that respect from his teammates, having that opportunity as a rookie 
to stand in front of his team and deliver that message. I love this. I love everything about this. Uh, first, uh, let's start with Mike Brown. I was wrong. I, di- I wasn't sure he could adjust to this. And you, you think back a couple months ago, we had at least Jesse on who had the report about 2017 and Mike Brown begging players not to kneel and worrying about business. And I believe that. I believe that report. I think there's more to it that we don't even know. And so when that was the case, and I look at Joe Burrow, a guy who's been extremely outspoken, was the first after everything happened with George Floyd and George Floyd gets murdered, the first Bengals player to tweet about it that I saw at least. And so for that to happen, I thought that that could be a tough situation. And then Carlos Dunlap's interview last week and what he describes and how he really challenged Mike Brown. I mean, that was it's pretty much what he did for 16 minutes, you know, and, and then A.J. Green says the same thing. It's on leadership. And Mike in his 80s, reads the temperature in the room, and he can tell it. And there are people in their 40s and 50s and even 30s and 20s who they can't do that. They failed to do that. And he has. And he appears to have adapted. And I saw a a man in Trey Hopkins who might be the most intelligent athlete I've ever covered light up when asked about what it meant to him that Mike Brown met with the team. This was before they went to the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center. This was before he stood with them there. And so when I think about the players and how they're going to respond, and there's so much talk about the reputation of the Bengals. Well, I think the 80 guys on the roster now are all in on this team and all in on Mike Brown and all in on Joe Burrow. And I do think that's a really good point. The fact that this team, most of them of which just met Joe Burrow maybe a month ago in person, they're like, hey, you should read this. They specifically found him and asked him that. I I think that's pretty telling too, but I I credit Mike Brown, you know, and it does sound like they're going to continue to to do stuff and they're getting a lot of things together and planning because if you want to create real change, it doesn't happen overnight and it takes a lot of planning and meeting and talking, but uh, it it appears they're headed in the right direction. It appears these players have the support of Mike Brown and the Brown family. And part of that plan involves getting your cutouts in Paul Brown Stadium, all of those proceeds going to various charities that you can choose from, one of those being the Underground Railroad Freedom Center, or you can also choose to have your donation go to the Boys and Girls Club, the Free Store Food Bank, the Salvation Army, or tri Good Samaritan Foundation and United Way of Greater Cincinnati. So a lot of ways for you to get involved as fans that the Bengals are supporting. You can get your cutout in the stadium. So a few cool things there. But back to the statement for just a moment here. The Joe Burrow thing speaking, I think that it really speaks to the trust, if nothing else, that he has in the locker room. Because there's probably some people out there thinking he's a white quarterback. Of course they're going, and he's a superstar. Of course, politically, you know, in terms of getting the message as loud and powerful as, as can be, they're going to have Joe Burrow read it. And, and maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe not. Maybe it is just, hey, you've been outspoken. You've been a leader in this area. You should read it. Maybe it's a little bit of both. But it, if nothing else, speaks to the fact that they trust him to deliver that message. And the other thing that really kind of stands out to me about this whole situation that's been happening and evolving since Carlos Dunlap's remarks, A.J. Green's remarks as well, Trey Hopkins, all these guys kind of on the same page is we're starting to see the cohesion of this locker room and, and we're seeing proof of it. 
It's something that they've talked about the fact that Zach Taylor's had their backs. And now we're seeing that outside of the locker room, it's spreading to the organization after team leaders, Carlos Dunlap, AJ Green said, we need this from the top down. They got their wish and, and the ownership backed them, which is exactly what you need to see from an organizational cohesion perspective. And when you're talking about building a culture and laying that foundation for Burrow, something that Carson Palmer's legacy was built on a shaky foundation at times, right? Mm -hmm. There were still plenty of question marks during the the early part of the Andy Dalton, AJ Green era, even though they had a lot of success on the field. And so when you're trying to to clean all that up and, and really start from scratch and sort of become what the Colts became in the early 2000s with Peyton Manning and how he kind of did things in Indianapolis and really changed that city. This is the this appears to be the start of it. And no matter how you feel politically or what's gone on over the past six months, eight months, whatever, it doesn't matter. The fact is, from a sports fan's perspective, and this is how I'll break it down. Joe Burrow sees his teammates concerned and hurting and, and, and bothered by by things that have transpired in their lives. And he wants to be there for him. Mike Brown sees some of his players most of his players, maybe all of his players, concerned about this, and he's willing to listen, and he's willing to help. And the same thing goes for the entire organization from Zach Taylor down. That's the part, regardless of how you feel about any of it, that I think every Bengals fan can agree on that it's good to see because when you're talking about that foundation, I think it's been shaky for many, many years, even though the Bengals have been really talented And if they want to get over the hump and they want to really beat up on the Steelers for the next decade and be the team to beat and compete with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, that's what you need. And uh, it's certainly good to see. That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. We'll be back tomorrow to take your questions in another midweek mailbag, perhaps the final midweek mailbag. We're going to have to find a new day for it with the regular season right around the corner later this week. James, it's time to project those 53-man rosters because cut-down day is coming on Saturday, September 5th. Until next time, Bengals fans, who day, and have a good one. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.